Psalm 1611 says, you will show me the path of life and in your presence is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. In your presence is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Last week we preached on the promised presence of God and the awareness of his presence. For the next, um, this is going to be the second of seven messages, so that means this will make it five, on the manifest presence of Jesus. We've talked about his promised presence. We've talked about the awareness of his presence. But we're going to spend the next five Sundays, including today, talking about the manifestation of the presence of Jesus. How do you know when Jesus is present? Or as some say, how do you know when Jesus shows up? Or, well, how do you know Jesus is Lord in a church? Of course, the way you know, Jesus told us what his manifest presence would look like. Oh, he didn't leave us in the dark. And it is so absolutely clear of how it is and what is happening when Jesus is present. So the name of our body of believers is Luke 4.18. And the reason we chose that was because the Holy Spirit led us, but it tells us what Jesus came to do and what he does when he's in control. So I'm going to begin reading in Luke 4.18. And you, you um, realize that this is from Isaiah, quoted from Isaiah. And what you're going to see here is he's going to tell you what he does when he's present. And I, I imagine this will be on the screen, but I got my Bible and you can open yours. All right, listen to what he said. Now, now, now get this picture. He grew up in Nazareth. He went to this synagogue all the time growing up. And of course, everybody knew, hey, there's something different about him. He's a carpenter's son, but man, this, this, and so you know how many times he probably confounded them in his own synagogue when he went with Mary and Joseph to to, to wherever he went, Jerusalem, I think. He confounded all the teachers because he knew more than they knew. So he says, now listen, to his hometown people, this is why I'm here and this is what I'm going to do the next three years. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to the recovery of sight to the blind, and to, to, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Now notice what he said, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He said, now, this is what I'm going to do, and this is the acceptable year of the Lord. And then you go down in verse 21, and he said, it says this. Uh, Go back to, I'm going to go to verse 20. He closed the book, 
gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all those who were in the synagogue were fixed on Jesus. And he began to say to them, don't miss this, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He said, today, I'm announcing to you that from now until I return from my church, I'm going to do this. I'm going to preach the gospel to the poor. I'm going to heal the brokenhearted. I'm going to deliver the captives. I, I'm going to uh, uh, set it, give sight to the blind. I'm going to set at liberty those who are beaten down. And that's what Jesus has been doing for over 2,000 years. And wherever Jesus is present, the gospel is preached to the poor, the brokenhearted are healed, the captives are delivered, the sick are healed, and those who are beaten down are lifted up. Now, as I speak on each one of these five things, it's going to be a little different. I'm going to preach about what it means that he was going to preach the gospel to the poor, which is salvation. And then somebody's going to come up here and give a testimony of how the manifested presence of Jesus came into their life and saved them. <clears throat> then next Sunday, I'm going to preach on how Jesus heals the brokenhearted. Then one of our members are going to come up here and give a testimony of how Jesus healed their broken heart. And then the third Sunday, I'm going to preach on how Jesus delivers the captives. And then one of our folks is going to come up here and say, well, let me tell you how Jesus' manifest presence delivered me. And then I'm going to preach on how he gave sight to the blind, healing. And we're going to have someone come up and say, well, let me just tell you about the manifested presence of Jesus, how he healed me. So every message will be, I'll, I'll introduce it, I'll talk about it, but then somebody's going to say, no, this is what Jesus did in my life. This was his manifest presence in me. It ain't something that happened 2,000 years ago. It happened in my life, and I want you to know he's real, and he's changed my life. Well, you know, when Jesus said that he was going to preach the gospel to the poor, he basically was talking about salvation. Now, what does it mean that, he, that he, is, he was and he is? Not not he was, but he is preaching the gospel to the poor. Today, he uses vessels, but what does it mean, the gospel to the poor? Well, first of all, let me say what it means to the poor. It meant, first of all, to the poor spiritually. You know the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, or blessed are those that know their need. He said, I'm going to preach the good news to people who are poverty-stricken spiritually. And he does, and he still is, through his preachers who preach the gospel. However, he said, I'm going to, uh, when he said he was going to preach the gospel to the poor, do you realize that three-fourths of the world, I mean, we three out of four people live in poverty. Three out of four people go to bed hungry at night. Three out of four spend most of the time of their day finding enough food to let them live through another day. That may be hard for you to believe, but that's exactly right. So what is the gospel? Jesus said, I'm going to preach the gospel to the poor. And he's still today preaching the gospel to the poor 
through those who preach his word and teach his word and witness on a daily basis. Now, you all know that gospel means good news. (laughs) I'm so glad that the gospel, the word gospel means good news. I'll say this, in a world full of bad news, we need little good news. And Jesus said, I'm coming, and my message from now until the time that I return from my church and things come to an end, I am going to be preaching good news. I'm going to preach the gospel. Well, now, let's just begin listening to the good news. I mean, just just listen how he, and he, he, he just began right off. In the third chapter of John, verses 16 through 18, now he tells us right off what the good news is. And you, we memorized this early if you ever ever in church. For God so loved you. Would you put your name there? If you'd been the only person alive, he'd still said it. For God so loved you that he gave. Wait a minute. He gave his only begotten son. Jesus is talking that whosoever believes in him should not perish. Praise God. That's good news. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Wow. And then here's the good news. See, we we were already condemned because of our sin. But so he goes on in the next verse and says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. And everybody said, amen. Jesus did not come into this world to condemn you. Your sin had already condemned you. For God not, did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world, let's make that personal, that you might be saved. So Jesus said, here's the good news. God so loved this world that he sent me into the, into the world so that through my death and resurrection you could have everlasting life. And just remember this, God didn't send me to condemn you. He saw you living under condemnation. But that, but, that, but, but that you would not, not be condemned. I did not condemn you, but that you might be saved. And so it's, the good news is that Jesus came not to condemn us, but to save us. Well, here's the other good news. He made it clear why he came. And he made it clear so many times what the gospel is and how it's good news. But let's take Luke 19. And Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus. Of course, Zacchaeus climbed the tree. You know, we learned all of that, all that, that little chorus. You know how Zacchaeus climbed the tree. And, 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 and Jesus, this was a divine appointment. Jesus saw him up there in the tree, and he called him down and said, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today. Now, the problem was Zacchaeus was a crook. He was the chief tax collector, and he was the head of the mafia. That's exactly what he was. And Jesus said, I'm going to your house today. I'm going today. And, and boy, I mean, they got kind of little Pharisee, got kind of little disturbed that Jesus was going to eat with Zacchaeus. But let's begin reading in, in Luke 19, verses 6 and 7. And look what he said. So he, Zacchaeus, he made haste and came down joyfully. And then we go on to verse 7. But now listen to this. But when they saw it, 
They all complained. He has gone to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. Woo! Aren't you glad Jesus went to be a guest of a man who was a sinner? And so it just showed right now that Jesus said, hey, I, I came on a mission. And it's for people just like Zacchaeus. And then he goes on and says, uh, in the next verse, that then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Jesus had been talking and evidently Zacchaeus began to realize I'm in the presence of the Messiah. He didn't understand it all, but he knew he was in the presence of God. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, 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 I give half of my goods to the poor. Boy, he got under conviction, didn't he? He said, I ain't going to tithe. I'm going to give half of what I got to the poor. He got doubly saved. No, five times saved. That was wonderful. He said, I'm going to give half of my goods to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I'm going to give it back four times. That's radical. Well, how did Jesus respond to it? He said, Zacchaeus, Jesus said today, salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. But then he tells us why he came. Now, don't miss this. For the Son of Man has come to make people happy. That ain't what he says, and I hope you are happy. The Son of Man has come to give body, everybody a new Mercedes and a Rolex. That ain't what it says. The Son of Man has come to be sure that you're successful. No. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save those that, that which was, what's the word? Lost. I said, Jesus, this is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the gospel that was preached to the poor. You preached to the poor. He said, there were people that were lost to God's purpose for their life. God created them to have fellowship with him. And he created all of us to have personal, intimate fellowship with him. But we lost that. When we sinned, and sin came down and infected us all. And so we were lost to that great purpose of having intimate fellowship with the God who created us. But the second thing, we were lost to the will of God. Did you know God has a plan for every one of your life? And the Bible says it is written in a book in heaven what God's plan is for you. And what you need to do is live out on earth what God has planned for you in heaven but here's a lot we're lost lost to the purpose of God to know him and to love him and for him to fill our life but we're lost to the will of God to be able to live out God's purpose for you and if you say well he doesn't have a purpose for me you missed it I want to tell you something God God never created somebody just to exist he created them with a divine purpose to be fulfilled in their life. Hey, it's good news. He came to seek and to save those who were lost. Second, well, thirdly, I don't know how many it is, but anyway, he came, Jesus came to those who were separated from God to restore them. I love 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. You see, sin separates from God. Holy God, sinful man. How is sinful man going to be reconciled to holy God? You know, that word atonement, 
you know, it has a meaning in a sense. He atoned for our sins at one month. So Jesus, the atonement was all about holy God being reconciled to sinful men and women. And it's not 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It's 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 18 and 19, okay? Now, all things are of God who has reconciled. Listen to this. This is good news. This is the gospel that Jesus came to to preach. All things are of God who has reconciled us to himself. That's where we needed to be. We were separated from God. We need to be reconciled to God. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by going to a Baptist church. That is not what it says. By doing enough good works, it outbalanced my bad works. How in the world does anybody get reconciled to God? All things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. What part of that don't we understand? You say, but there's so many roads to heaven, Brother Fred. That's a lie. Oh, no. Oh, no. He said, I'm going to reconcile. There's only one way I'm going to reconcile you, a sinner, to me, a holy God. And that's through the death of Jesus Christ. To reconcile us to Jesus Christ, to himself, and he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. Well, it's a gift from God, by the way. This salvation, you know why it's such good news? It's not by our works. It's by his grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, 8 through 10. You know this, but listen to it. It says, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. Well, we got, oh, I might have to go back to verse 8. Let me do that. God demonstrates his love. Wait a minute. Oh, I see here. I jumped ahead. Salvation is ours. It is a gift from God. And it's Ephesians 2, 8 and 10. All right, we know it. For, uh, for by grace, God's undeserved favor. God doing for us what we don't deserve for ourselves. For by grace, you are saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift from God. And not of works, lest any man should boast. It says, it's, all, it's a gift from God through our faith in Jesus Christ. And it's not by our works, but, but by the grace of God. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift from God. So salvation's good news, gift of mercy and grace, okay? None of us deserve it, but that's what grace is. Now, let me tell you what salvation cost. This is where I want to go to Romans chapter 5. And I thought, you know, I'm kind of getting, getting to the point where I can let, let my brother give his testimony. But I said, now, Okay, this good news. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. It's in Jesus. This good news, Jesus came to seek and to save us who were lost. This good news that uh, when, we were, when we were separated from God by our sin, Jesus came to reconcile us, make us one with God. He was going to bring sinful man and holy God together. And the good news is that that salvation that is in Christ was purchased and paid for by him, and it is a free gift from God, and it's not by works. You could never work your way within 4 billion miles of heaven. But remember what he paid. 
Remember your condition when he came to seek and to save those who were lost. Romans 5, 6. For when we were without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. Here we were. We couldn't save ourselves. We were like lost sheep, you know. God saw us without any strength. He saw what sin had ravaged us. He said, you know, I know they don't have any strength. But I'm going to send Jesus. And he's going to die for the ungodly. Jesus did not see you at your best and die for you. Jesus saw you at your worst and still went to the cross and took your place. So when we were without strength, Christ died from the ungodly. And you go on to the next verse. It says in in chapter 5, verse 9, it says, for scarcely or for... uh, for scarcely for a righteous, verse 7, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. And you go on to the next verse. Now listen to this. God demonstrates his love toward us that while we were still sinners. Now that's good news. God demonstrates his love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then in verse 11, It says, and not only that, but we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Salvation was purchased and paid for by the sinless Savior who died on the cross and took your sins upon himself. He took your sins upon himself. He took your sins upon himself. And he bore your sins in his body on that tree. He died for your sins and was raised for your justification. Salvation is, is if there had been no cross, there would have been no atonement. If there had been no death for our sins, there would be no forgiveness for our sin. If the blood of Christ, the very life of God, had been shed, we could not sing. What can wash away my sin? You see, but nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now, please understand, while salvation, this good news, this gospel is is, is free, it's a gift, it's costly. It costs the Son of God his life, and by the way, it'll cost you your life if you're going to be a follower of Jesus. So, by the way, he's the only way to be saved. If anybody tells you that all roads lead to heaven, you say, I don't agree with you. I'm sorry if you have a right to believe that. But I don't believe that. I do not believe that. I believe Jesus is the only way. But what about a good so-and-so and a good so-and-so and a good so-and-so? What about this one and that one? You know, come on. What does it say? What does the Bible say? Neither is our salvation in any other. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Case closed. But, you know, you know, uh, that doesn't sound right. I don't care how it sounds. It's the truth. You've got to understand. Don't you believe this junk that there are many ways to heaven? Absolutely not. You said you are a narrow-minded whatever. I don't care. I'm telling you Jesus is the only way for anybody ever to get saved. And don't you ever believe anything else. Well, I'm too intellectual to believe that. Baloney. That's not intellectually. That's stupidity. If the Bible says it, I'm going to believe the Bible instead of the opinion of some philosopher or liberal theologian. I'm going to say, man, you have missed it. 
Because I'm telling you, Jesus Christ is the only one who died for my sins. He was the only one who was raised from the dead. He was the only one who saw me helpless and reached down and saved me. And so don't you try to tell me that he just was one of those ways. Uh Uh-uh. He is the only way. I think I made my point. And you receive it by repentance. We don't hear much about repentance. Confession of sin is not repentance. Repentance is you confess your sin and you turn away from it. You confess your sin and you turn away from it. Yes, it's called repentance. Acts 20, 21 says, I preached repentance toward God. Paul said, I preached repentance the confession and forsaking of your sin. I preach repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. Peter said, repent. But you know, you've got to understand there are two kinds of sorrow. There's a godly sorrow that leads to repentance and leads to salvation. And there's a worldly sorrow that leads to death. Now, there's sorrow, all right? Here's what worldly sorrow is. You really don't, aren't broken over the fact that your sin is against God. Well, I made a bad choice, and it really has cost me a whole lot. Man, it's really, I really messed up my life, and I'm really sorry that I have made such a mess of my life and just messed up and done wrong, but, but you know, I, I, I'm going to do better And I'm I'm sorry for what I did. That's worldly sorrow. It leads to death. It leads to death. But then there's a godly sorrow that says, no, you don't understand. My sin was against God. I sinned against God. Sin is rebellion against a holy God. And see, when you realize it's a sin against God, then you repent toward God. You have a godly sorrow that leads you to repentance that resent, re, ends in salvation. I want you to look, you look at these verses. I rejoice not that you were made sorrow, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss in nothing. And he goes on and says, godly sorrow, I have sinned against God. You can't work that up, only the Holy Spirit. Now you can work up worldly sorrow. You're so sorry you got caught. You're so sorry you messed up. You're so sorry, you, but... I, I'm sorry you messed up too, but that's not repentance. Godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be repented of. The sorrow of the world leads death. Now, here's my next point. When I'm going to let my brother give his testimony. I love this. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away, and all things are become new. There are a number of people I could have asked to share their salvation experience. Some of you have been saved 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. Some of you have been saved two years, one year. But I felt led that Chef Rob, and that, you know, that, we call him that because he's a chef, okay? That is not his name. My name is not Brother Fred. It's Fred Wood. But anyway... It, it's Rob Stevens. Did I get that right? No, the last name. Huh? Last name's Rob. 
don't confuse me. Don't do that. Your name is, uh, anyway, uh, Rob had an awesome encounter with Jesus. And his testimony is a, is a testimony of the manifested presence of Jesus. So, Rob, you come on up here and you share us how you had an encounter with the manifested presence of Jesus that changed your life. Okay? And by the way, it ain't been but nine months, right? Nine months. That would help. All right. But you can cook good. <laughs> and my last name is Stevens. It's not, it's not Rob. Uh, I got to ask you, um, <clears throat> I got to tell you, you know, Brother Fred is uh, a member of the Gazillion Mile Frequent Flyer Club. How'd you like to be an atheist and get stuck on a plane with this guy in the center row? Now, if he's asleep, the best thing to probably do is just let him sleep. But if you want to get into a conversation with him about the Lord, whew, yeah, I seriously doubt you would get off that uh, plane the same person. I pray not. Definitely. Definitely. Um, you know, when Brother Fred asked me to, uh, to get up and, and give my testimony and talk to you today, I, I was like, really? Man, wow. Uh, yeah. I said, Brother Fred, I, you know, it, it was probably nine months ago. I said, I think I'm still living it out. He said, Rob, he said, you're going to be living it to the day that you go to be with Jesus. Amen. And I was like, okay. All right. So we went and met yesterday at his house, and we met for about two hours. And, uh, it seemed like five minutes. It, it passed by so quick. And we talked about the Lord, and we, we shared stories, and we laughed, and we cried, and we prayed together. And I went home last night, and i tell you what, whew, man, I was on fire. I was lit up. I couldn't sleep. I wrote down everything that I could think of. So I prepared about a three-hour speech, and I trimmed it down to two because we got to get somewhere to eat. <laughs> Cut it back a little bit. Yeah. But I rehearsed it in front of my 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 wife and my youngest son, and, and funny story, my youngest son came in this morning to the kitchen, I was about to walk out the door to get here, and he, he looked at me and said, hey, Dad, uh, you know, I already, I already heard your speech, so I'm going to go to children's church if that's okay. <laughs> he said, but you do good, and oh, by the way, here's $8 left over from pizza last night, put that in an offering plate. I said, aren't kids funny? Absolutely amazing. He got baptized. So did my oldest. Amen. Amen. Uh, Gordon, can you put that verse back up on the screen? It was Luke 19.10. The Lord spoke to me when that came up there. If we could put that back up there. If not, it was, uh, it was pretty easy to remember, and it was pretty straightforward. It was the Son of Man came to save those which were lost. Man, yeah, lost, that was me. That was me in a nutshell and then some uh, back in October of last year and beyond. I can go back further. I can tell you that probably when I was 18 years old is when I pretty much had come to the conclusion in my life that there was no God. 
whatsoever. You see, my mom had been diagnosed with cancer. She passed away at the age of 18. When I was 18, she was 42. We had grew up in a great family. We went to church. You know, church was good. I didn't know anything about a personal relationship with the Lord. Nobody had ever told me about that. But at the age of 18, when she passed, I was hurt beyond belief. And I couldn't possibly fathom, how could there be a God when he just took somebody that young that was so special in their prime and nobody can explain it to me well my life went on without God in it and down the road I decided to go to culinary school I set out to become a chef that was my goal I did it um and I didn't know it the Lord was with me the whole time he put somebody in my life that uh continuously helped me, and that was my soon-to-be wife. Uh, We met in Birmingham, and uh, we decided to settle down and make that our home, and she said, we need to start going to church, so we did, and we went to church, and it felt good. It felt good. Got me recharged for Monday, but let me back up and tell you that after my mom died, I had spiraled down somewhat of a hole that I started going deeper and deeper into. And that hole that I was going going down into was one of an addiction that became greater and greater, and that was drinking alcohol. At that time, it wasn't as bad, but here was the routine. Get up on Sunday, go to church. It felt good. Come home or go eat lunch, start drinking. That was it. It was the same thing every Sunday. It was the same thing every day. And as our marriage continued and we had children, it got more and more. Sometimes we'd go to church, sometimes we wouldn't. But it was kind of a repeating process. Did you understand it? It was go to church, yeah, it felt good. Come home, have a drink, go to bed. It's kind of like a a bottle of shampoo. It's got the directions on there. Why do they put directions on a bottle of shampoo? I don't need it, right? I don't need that. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what you hear. Wash it, rinse, repeat. That was my life. Wash, rinse, repeat. I knew nothing about the Lord, and I was falling down into a bottomless pit. And alcohol was taking me straight down. It was October of last year when I think I had probably hit, and hit rock bottom. I didn't realize it at the time, but looking back now, yeah, that was probably the darkest time in my life. My addiction had become every day, every day without fail. It didn't matter where I was at, if I was traveling, if I was on a job, wherever. You see, I had started my own catering business. Things were going pretty good. I was catering for Luke 418, but I didn't go to church here. And... My addiction was an everyday habit. Now, it wasn't wake up in the morning and brush my teeth with it, but every night it was there until I went to bed. My wife stayed on my case about going to church. We probably hadn't been to church in four years. Wives are good about that, and I love her for it. She wanted for us to get our boys into church, to raise them in church. It was a good thing, but I didn't want to go. 
She stayed on my case so hard one Saturday, I finally turned to her and I said, fine, we're going to Luke 4.18. Well, I've been catering for them ever, probably ever since they started, right? And I knew everybody here just about. I knew they liked me as a person. They didn't know what baggage I was carrying, but I knew that when I showed up, they would like me. And I told her that. She said, well, what's it going to be like? I said, what does it matter? I said, I know Brother Fred likes me pretty good. A lot of other people do. They're going to welcome us with open arms. And we're going to see what it's about. Let's just go check it out. I got dressed up in my suit. I walked in that door up there. Brother Fred was in the lobby. I walked straight up to him. And he looked at me and he said, I know you. (laughs) But I can't call your name. I said, yes, you did. And he wasn't having a senior moment. He had never seen me in a suit. He just seen me in whatever I was delivering in or in my chef's coat. And uh, I leaned into him. I said, "Uh, Brother Fred, it's Chef Rob. He was like, Chef Rob, what are you doing here? I said, my wife wanted to go to church. And I said, let's go to Luke 4.18. He said, amen. Praise God. Praise God. And I got to tell you what, that first service, we sat right back there. And, you know, I, I grew up, I, I like Jerry Clower. Everybody know Jerry Clower? Some of the younger folks don't. I tell you what, Brother Fred, this place was on fire that day. The Holy Spirit was in here. And I told Brother Fred after the service, I said, man, you just shelled that corn right on down to the cob. But quite honestly, it hit me like a sledgehammer between the eyes. The second service we came to, same thing. But I sat back there bawling like a baby. The third service, I think, third or fourth service we came to, my oldest son decided he wanted to get baptized. I believe Ed Newton was here. Evangelist had came in. And Ed Newton came in and he he said, anybody want to come down? Come on. Whatever it is. My oldest son wanted to come. I came with him. We came right down here in SL. He met us, and he called my oldest son up, and he said, what is it you want to do? He said, I want to get baptized. Brother Fred said, we'll take care of that. He looked over, and there I was, and he said, he kind of looked at me. He's like, well, what are you doing here? Well, I wanted to tell him this. I wanted to say, Brother Fred, I want to get saved, and I want to make Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior. But I couldn't get the words out of my mouth. Instead, I fumbled around and I said, uh, I want to be a member of this church. And he kind of looked at me like, what? He said, you've been, he, he told me later, you've been catering for this church for six years. You're kind of already part of the family, but yeah, if you want to be a member, come on. That's not what I wanted to tell him. But let me tell you this. Monday morning, I woke up. And the Lord spoke to me. And, you know, you hear people say that. They say the Lord spoke to them. The Lord put something on their heart. And you think, some people might think, yeah, okay, whatever. No, I can tell you. I woke up that morning, and the Lord spoke to me very clearly for three days. And he told me, you need to go see Brother S.L. He didn't tell me why, and I didn't have a clue. I knew who Brother S.L. was. I knew he was a good fella, but I didn't have a clue why. I came up here on a Wednesday night, delivered supper. 
I found him. I said, hey, we need to talk. He said, okay. I said, in private. He said, okay. We went back here in the prayer room. And I began to pour out my heart to him and tell him my life story about how I started drinking probably when I was 14 years old. My mother died when I was 18. I had cheated death more times than I could possibly remember. Car wrecks, slung through windshields, into trees, everything else. And I had not lived my life <laughs> very well. I was lost beyond a shadow of a doubt. And we both cried about it. And then Brother S.L. started to tell me his life story. And guess what? It was exactly the same as mine to a T. He had lost his mother at a young age, turned to drinking and wickedness. In 1974, he got saved, and he never looked back. He never looked back. And, uh, you know, I got to be honest with you, it was overwhelming to me. I thought, man, this guy's already been there, done that. You heard the saying, right? Been there, done that. He had already been there and done that. But something was holding me back from going all in, from giving it all. You know, I kind of, this is a horrible analogy. I told Brother Fred I was going to come up with an analogy, and this one's not too good. But uh, you ever find yourself sitting at a poker table? Probably not. Forgive me, God. We're in, the, we're in your house. But you've seen it on TV, right? The guy's sitting at the poker table, and he's got chips stacked up to the ceiling. He's got those sunglasses on, and they're playing that crazy game, Texas Hold'em or whatever. He's dealt two cards. He looks at them, and he pushes all the chips up on there and says, I'm all in. I'm all in. He thinks he's got the winning hand. Not me. I have one chip I had stuck in my back pocket. $500 chip I put back there just for hard times. Just in case I thought I didn't have the winning hand, I wasn't going to walk out of there with nothing, right? I wanted that little insurance policy, and that insurance policy was drinking. Yeah. Man. It wasn't too bad of an analogy, was it? No. See, you got to be all in. You can't hold anything back. So he told me, he said, he said, Rob, you need to go talk to Brother Fred. I set up an appointment with him the following Tuesday. I came up here. We sat and met for two and a half hours. We prayed together. We laughed. We cried. We told stories. I told him everything. And he told me, he said, Rob, we're going to pray about it. We're going to pray that this drinking is going to be gone. And you're going to get saved. And I want you to go home tonight, and I want you to pour out all that alcohol in your house. I needed some help. Not pouring it, not necessarily pouring it out, but like gathering it all up is what I'm telling you. Fifteen bottles of assorted liquor I lined up in my bathroom, and I just didn't pour it out. I flushed it down the toilet, down the toilet, and probably 500 demons with it. Yeah. And I had my wife and my two sons come in the bathroom and watch me as each one of them went down, and I flushed them. And I asked for their forgiveness. I told them I was sorry. I told my boys, I said, don't ever, ever let this ruin your life. 
it will absolutely take you down and tear you down to nothing. And it's a sin against God. Proverbs 20, verse 1, it's very clear. It says that wine is a mocker and strong drink is a brawler. And a lot of you know that verse. Whew, is it a brawler? And he who is intoxicated by it is not wise. Yeah, what part of that don't you understand? I wish I'd have known that a long time ago. But if you got, how many people here got the Bible app on their, on their iPhones, on their Smarty Pants phone? You get home later, just, you can do a search on there. Type in the word drunk. See how many different passages come up in the Bible. Or type in sober. There's a ton. There's a ton. Well, I got baptized. I got saved. And uh, that's not the end of the story. You see, nobody told me that when you get saved, that's when things can get a little bit tough on you. Am I right? Whoo, man. You see, my business had been failing so bad because of my drinking. My marriage was in shambles. Everything was in shambles. But here I was. I was a new Rob. I had a clear mind. I had quit drinking, never to go back to it again. But I was working. I had taken a job at Mobile Infirmary as their executive chef. I was still managing my catering business, what was left of it. But it was Christmas time, and we were going right into Mardi Gras. And it, it was absolutely horrendous amount of stress and chaos in my life. At that time, my wife's father got sick, diagnosed with cancer. He spent 35 days up at Mobile Infirmary, and we lost him to cancer. He passed away. Two weeks after that, her mother, who had been ill, passed away as well. Man. Stress, chaos, turmoil, frustration, fear, anger, brokenhearted, everything. But you know what? Two things. One, God was there with us every step of the way. And not once through all of that did I ever think, man, I sure could use a drink to get through this day. And that's been nine months ago. And I won't ever go back to that lifestyle again. You see, here's the deal. Thank you. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. God answers prayers. If you don't think he does. Get in a dark place and talk to him. Just talk to him like you and I are talking here right now. It hasn't got to be rehearsed. It hasn't got to be anything that you read somewhere. Talk to him like he's your best friend. We had a rough day one day, and we were laying in bed, my wife and I, and I, I just I started praying. I asked God to come into that room and calm us. Just calm us. And I'm going to tell you what. I felt a calming sensation just come over me from the head, from my head all the way down the tip of my toes. The room was dark, and we were holding hands, laying in bed, just her and I, praying. And I leaned over to her, and I was like, whoa, did you just feel that? And she's like, yeah, yeah. And I was just like, man, the power of prayer. It's unbelievable. 
So have I got it all figured out? Am I perfect? No, not at all. I'm still trying to figure it out, and I'm by no means perfect at all. You see, I've spent the last probably 30 years of my life trying to kill myself, literally trying to kill myself by drinking. So I'm going to spend the last days on this earth trying to save myself and living for God and doing his work. You see, it's like this. You remember the poker analogy? (laughs) I want to ask you something. What's holding you back today? Are you ready to say, I'm all in? Or have you still got that one chip you're holding on to and you're going to put it in your back pocket? It's tough. It's hard. It's, it's, it can be embarrassing. It can be very scary. You don't know. God knows. Let me tell you something. God is the one who's dealing the cards. Don't you know that? God is the dealer. He already knows what hands you're holding, and it's a winning hand if you throw it all in and say, I'm all in. He's just going to sit over there and say, come on with it. Come on with it. You have won the game. But if you're going to hold that one thing back in your pocket, that one thing back, you've got to let it go. You can't hold on to it any longer. Now, Brother Fred is going to get up, and he's going to talk to you a little bit and preach a little bit more, and he's going to pray that today. If there's somebody here that doesn't know God, something that's carrying a burden, and it can, it can be alcohol, it can be anything. There's so many other ones out there. It can just be anything. If you want to come down and ask the Lord to come into your life and change it, and let me tell you, You ain't just got to come ask me. I can look out through this room and I can see a lot of people that I've talked to where God's changed their lives as well. If you want to come down, I'm going to be sitting right here. I'll stand up here with you. And I'll pray for you. And so many people in this unbelievably great congregation will do the same. I'll say this. I hope the Lord blesses you. And I thank you for letting me be a part of this family. God bless everybody. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Amen. 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 When he told me the analogy about in some kind of poker, you got to put all in, I said, I don't know about that, but the truth is here. What's keeping you from Jesus? What's keeping you from Jesus? You remember the rich young ruler? Lord, well, I want eternal life. He said, keep the commandments. Rich young ruler said, I've done it all my life. He said, wow. Jesus knew he had one chip. He said, tell you what, I know what you love more than anything else, your money. He said, Jesus, go sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. And you come and follow me. By the way, it said that Jesus looked at him in love. In love. In love. And said, come on. You'll never be disappointed. You'll you'll, you'll never go wrong, he's going to say. 
in the sense that you made the wrong. If you just let go of that which you love more than me, and you'll come and follow me. Now, there's no explanation for Rob Stephen, but the manifested presence of Jesus. Manifested. Somebody said, well, you need to go to rehab. I said, Rob, let's just ask Jesus to set you free. And we prayed, and, and I'm telling you, he ain't, he ain't, he, the only rehab he's had is Jesus. Now, I think some people need to go to rehab, I guess. But if they meet Jesus in rehab, that's a wonderful place. Amen? Amen. But I want to ask you, is there anything keeping you from Jesus? Is there anything keeping you from being saved? You say, I can't let go of that sin, Brother Fred. Oh, yes, you can. You're not going to be free till you do. So today, God has spoken to you. Jesus is here to save. He's here to save. Oh, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He saved Rob nine months ago, so evidently Jesus is still around, right? He's still around. He hadn't left. I want to ask you something else. You know Jesus, and you truly have been born again. And there was a time that Jesus was the most important person in your life. But something's happened. And you've got something in your life as a believer that God said, that's got to go. You say, I'm not, that's not, Lord, that, I, I don't, that, I don't, that's not for today. That, you rationalized it and you've justified. You're holding on to something that's keeping you from being the man or woman of God that God wants you to be. You've got to let go of it. You've got to let go of it. And then you'll know what it is to have abundant life. I'm going to close with this illustration. I'm going to pray. Leonard Ravenhill said this. He said, I've seen every miracle in the New Testament with my own eyes except the raising of the dead. He said, but the greatest miracle, now listen to this, is when God reaches down out of heaven and takes an old unholy man or woman and draws to him, them to himself, and he saves them and makes them a new creation. And then he puts them back down in that unholy world and keeps them holy. He was saying the greatest miracle is not when somebody's healed of cancer or anything. The greatest miracle is when somebody gets saved. Their whole life has changed. God makes a, takes an, un, uh, an unholy man, changes him, and makes him holy. You say, I want to see a miracle. You just heard one. You just saw one. You just saw what happens when Jesus is present and speaking to your hearts.